Is that really in the Bible? You live in a world where everyone has an opinion about the Bible. Of what values are your beliefs if they are not clearly found in the pages of your Bible? The question we must ask is, are your opinions and beliefs really found in the Bible? Well, hello, I'm David Freeman Webb. Is that really in the Bible? We're talking about how to begin a relationship with God without church and religion. And we come to this program that is entitled, A Clash of Wills. What is it that God, what is it that attracts people, God to people? In other words, what is it, what kind of people is God attracted to? Um, why would God even desire to build a relationship with you? And I think a lot of people would say, well, I've got to be good enough. I've got to be righteous enough. I've got to be a saint. I've got to be a, a church-going person. I've got to be involved in all kinds of good deeds. And then God would be attracted to me, you see. And, you know, that's just not the way it is. You know, I never realized until recently how many people are out there who actually believe in what I would call salvation by works. They're actually trying to earn brownie points with God, and it's a form of salvation by works. Now, I know a lot of people have accused me of salvation by works because I preach on the law of God and I try to keep you know, the law of God, the Ten Commandments, and I do other things that people don't understand that are in the Bible, found in the Bible, and people will think, well, he, he believes in salvation by works. But that's, that's simply not true. What I'm beginning to see is that there are a lot of non-religious people who, whether they realize it or not, believe in salvation by works. There, there are people that are involved in Boy Scout, Girl Scout, all kinds of service organizations, all kinds of humanitarian works, you know? And it really dawned on me one day, I was talking to an elderly man. He had taken care of his wife very well. I mean, she was a hypochondriac, always sick, and he would take care of her and, and just spent a lot of time taking care of her. And he said to me one day, now this, this guy I'm talking about was not a religious person, not really. I mean, he would curse the sky blue and, and uh, he, at least I don't think by anybody's definition he was a, a religious person. But he said to me one day, he said, you know, I think when it's all weighed out, you know, God's gonna look at all these good things that I did for my wife and taking care of her. And he's just sort of going to, you know, allow me to go through the pearly gates. And he actually said that these were words that came out of his own mouth. And I thought, wow, man, that, that's what you call salvation by works. So it's not the ones who believe in keeping the law of God who believe in salvation by works. It's the non-religious who don't really want anything to do with God, but are involved in all kinds of good works. And in the back of their mind, it goes like this. Well, God's going to weigh out all these good deeds that I've done. I mean, I've served the Boy Scouts. I've served the Girl Scouts. I've been involved in all kinds of good works. And in the end, God's going to weigh it all out. And he's going to allow me to slip through the pearly gates. Yeah. 
I mean, I actually believe there's a lot of non-religious people that think like that. What kind of people is God attracted to? Well, the Bible gives the answer to this question. It's found in Mark 2 and verse 15. And it came to pass that as Jesus sat at meat in his house, many publicans and sinners sat also together with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many that followed him. Now this verse is fascinating because it tells you the kind of people that was attracted to Jesus. It was publicans and sinners. The sinner loved Jesus. The sinner wanted to be around Jesus. Now, now think about this. Jesus was a religious figure. I mean, he really was. He was the son of God, and, but the, the downcast, the outcast, the, the sinner, the dirty, rotten sinner, these are the ones that was attracted to Jesus. They wanted to eat with him. They wanted to be with him. They wanted to be around Jesus. I mean, think about this. Why, ask yourself the question, why did the sinner follow him? I mean, most religious people today, I wouldn't follow anywhere. I wouldn't follow their instructions. I wouldn't follow their directions. Well, come to think of it, there are no instructions or directions. You know, it's like with most religious, I mean, once you get past just believe and just invite Jesus into your heart, you know, the rest is just a, an, all, an emotional experience. It's like a, a carnival show. It's just song and dance after you've done that. So come to think of it, there, there were no instructions or there are no instructions when it comes to most religious people. But if there were, I st probably still wouldn't follow them very well. But anyway, what was it that attracted the sinner to Jesus? Well, let's take a look at this verse, Mark 1 and verse 22. Mark 1 and verse 22. And they were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. Notice this, they were astonished at what he taught. You know, whatever he taught sunk into their heart and ears. They believed him. You know, and in, just recently, I heard this music, it was a black woman singing, and you know, I've always noticed this, that, 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 that often black people put their whole heart and soul into their music, into their song, and this woman was like that, and I was thinking, man, she sings like she believes the words she's, she's singing, and it was such an inspiration to hear that, that she, it was like, I, you know, I could tell that she believed in what she was singing, and it's powerful when you see something like that. The Word of God has authority. And it's like, you know, you're, it's like the express, well, he, he's preaching as if he believes what he's saying, and that's what you're looking for. But, it, you know, the, the Word of God has authority. It really does. And let me give you some example of the kind of authority that God's Word has. Jesus said this in John 3 and verse 13. He said, And no man is ascended up into heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. Now, that's a fascinating statement, but it has authority. No man, Jesus speaking, no man has ascended to heaven. Well, what do you hear in the world today? Well, what you hear is heavenly retirement with no authority. In other words, there's nothing to back it up with. It's just, a, it's just an expression. Yeah, I'll meet you in heaven. Uh, when we die, we all go to heaven. There's a movie out. You know, heaven is real. But there's no authority to back it up. Jesus said... No man has ascended to heaven. 
And that, that's the kind of, you know, the Word of God has authority, and that's what gets people's attention. It's, 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 it's not all the facade and all the religious expressions that people come up with, you know, all the vacations and sanctification, justification. It's not that that gets people's attention. It is the authority of God's Word. Let's take a look at another one here. Matthew 5 and verse 17. Jesus said, Think not that I have come to destroy the law or the prophets. I have not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Now, let me tell you how most religious people read that. They read it like this. Think not that I have come to destroy the law or the prophets. I have not come to destroy, but to destroy. That's how they look at that word fulfill there. You know, the word fulfill just means to make perfect. You know, Jesus fulfills the spirit of the law. You know, he says, okay, you know, you, you think, okay, because you're being faithful to your wife, all right, you haven't committed adultery. But I say unto you, if you look at another woman and undress her in your mind, you're guilty of committing adultery. So Jesus deals with the spirit of the law. And in that sense, he fulfilled the full meaning. He made it perfect, our understanding of the law. But Jesus comes along and says, don't think that I've come to destroy the law. Now, that's authority. That's authority. Jesus said, think not. But what do you hear in most churches? Well, you hear the, the spirit of Antichrist. You hear Jesus abolished the law. He did away with it. He nailed it to his cross. That's what you hear. Jesus said, think not that I've come to do that, to destroy the law. And it's the very thing that most religious people think. Matthew 12 and verse 8 says, for the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath day. That's authority. God, Jesus said, I am Lord of the Sabbath day. Well, what do you hear today? Today you hear Sunday is the Lord's day, the first work day of the week, with no authority to back it up. So it is that authority, you know. Uh, another example, 1 Timothy 6 and verse 16, who only has, in, speaking of God here, who only has immortality dwelling in light, in the light, which no man can approach unto, whom no man has seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power, honor and power everlasting. Uh, what do you hear today? Well, you hear that you have an immortal soul. God says, the Word of God says God only has immortality. Immortality is not something you're going to be given until the resurrection. You don't have immortality right now. You have to be given that at the resurrection. But what you hear today, what do you hear among religious people? You've got an immortal soul that flits off to heaven or hell. You know, that's, that's what you hear today. And with no authority to back it up. There's no authority to back up the teaching of the immortality of the soul because it's not in your Bible. Now, what was it that attracted the sinner to Jesus? Well, again, let's take a look at Mark 2 and verse 16. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eat with publicans and sinners, they said to him and to his disciples, how is it that he eats and drinks with publicans and sinners? I tell you, these, these religious fanatics had a disdain for the sinner. Jesus did not. Jesus loved the sinner. Jesus, the sinner was attracted to Jesus. And I don't think you see that today. I don't think you see people attracted to religious people today. I know I'm not. I know I'm not. But these 
self-righteous people, they sort of had a disdain for the sinner. They didn't like the sinner. They said, why, why is he eating with publicans and sinners? Yuck! Why are your disciples eating with publicans and sinners? It's not right. You know, if Jesus were here today, he'd probably hang out at the bar. I mean, that's where you find sinners, is it not? You can find a bunch of drunks there anyway. He was called a wine-bibber. How do you get to be called a wine-bibber? He wasn't called a grape-juice-bibber. You know, he was called a wine-bibber. They said he drank too much. Every time I see Jesus, he's got a glass of wine in his hand. I mean, he, he's a wine-bibber. He's a wino, whatever. You know, they called him a wine-bibber. They said he was a gluttony that he ate too much. Now, if you're overweight, you can sort of take some courage. You can be encouraged by that. You know, they, 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 they said, Jesus, every time I see you, you got a plate of food in your hand. You're always eating, you know? Maybe, that, maybe that's your problem. You're, you're too big, you know, fat. You're fat, okay? Fat is what you are. You know, it's like the woman says, does this dress make me look fat? No, it's not the dress. It's your fat that makes you look fat. But, you know, and it's just, it's amazing how we deceive ourselves. We're in the grip of deception. We will never admit things to ourselves. Not even the truth. We're never going to admit the truth to, to ourselves. You know, does this dress make me look fat? I'll tell you. Okay, let's take a look at Mark 2 and verse 17. Mark 2 and verse 17. When Jesus heard it, he said to them, you know, again, the issue is, why does your master eat with publicans and sinners? This isn't right. Why are you hanging out with publicans and sinners? When Jesus heard this, he said unto them, They that be whole need not, have no need of, of a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but the sinner to repentance. Man, this is powerful. I mean, what kind of people is God attracted to? Is he attracted to the religious type? No. He's attracted to sick people, you know, the ones that need a physician. If you view yourself as a good, righteous, upright, healthy, feel-good person, you know, God's not interested in you. God is interested in the sick sinner. Okay, the sick sinner. Now, where do you find people that view themselves as good, upright and righteous. You find them in church. Where else would you find them? Okay. And you know, I, I begin to realize this. You know, the reason you sit there and don't respond to this program is because you view, you're a religious person. You don't view yourself as a sinner. And God's not interested in religious people. I'm not interested in religious people. So you might as well turn the channel and watch Benny Hinn or whatever, the Sunday morning comedy hour. You can get on the merry-go-round of churchianity, get, get your religion, whatever. But you know, it, it, it's, it's the kind of people that God is attracted to, is the sinner. So what does it take to begin a relationship with God? Well, here it is. Here's the million dollar question. I'm gonna answer it right now. What does it take to begin a relationship with God? It takes a clash of wills. Well, now what am I talking about when I say a clash of wills? It's when you come up against the authority of the Word of God and you don't want to do it. Okay, that's what it takes. God says, do this, and you say, I don't want to do that. That's what it takes to begin a relationship with God, a clash of wills. 
If you don't have a class of wills going on in your going on in your life, chances are you don't even have a relationship with God. Let's notice Jesus' clash of wills here. Mark 14 and verse 36. And he said, Abba Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Now, this is an incredible, uh, Jesus didn't want to go through this. He didn't want to go through the suffering, the pain and the suffering. Death, death for our sins. I mean, this was a clash of wills. And he goes to the Father and he says, Father, work it out some other way. I don't want to go through this. And he comes to, the, comes to this point three times. He says this same prayer. Father, if there's some other way, if there's another way we can work this out, let's do it another way. And Jesus had to face his clash of wills. He had to deal with it. He had to deal. There, there was no other way. He had to deal with his clash of wills, the thing he didn't want to do. <clears throat> now for us, it's, I don't want to deal with this sin. I don't want to deal with this addiction. I don't want to deal with this behavior pattern in my life. I don't want to deal with my anger. I don't want to deal with the lust of the flesh I got going on in my life. Listen, are you a sinner? You got problems? You got things in your life that you know displeases God. Well, thank God. Thank God for those things. God may just be working with you. Because Jesus said, they that, be, that are whole have no need a, of a physician, but they that are sick. And I have come not to call the righteous, not to call the religious, but the sinner to repentance. Now your clash of wills is found in a three-letter word. It's called sin. Sin. That's where your clash of will, wills is at. 1 John 3, 4 says this, Whosoever commits sin transgresses also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. So what you've got to do is you've got to take the Ten Commandments and you've got to say, okay, how many of these things do I have a problem with? Where is my clash of wills? Now chances are it's not all of them. Most of the commandments you probably are able to keep. But there's going to be one, maybe two, that you really struggle with, that really gives you a fit. And there's things in there that you don't want to do. I don't want to do this, Lord. I know you say it's the right thing, but I don't want to do it. That's a clash of wills. But that's one of the ways you know God's working with you. This is the kind of people that Jesus is attracted to. The ones who actually have, the sick ones, okay? The sick, the sick ones, the ones that need healing. Now, listen to me closely. What you do with this clash of wills determines where this relationship goes. Okay, this is critical, what I'm about to say here. What you do when you're struggling with this clash of wills. God, I see what you want me to do. I don't want to do it. And you basically have two choices when it comes to a clash of wills. You can be honest with God or you can develop a theology that dismisses you know, whatever it is that God wants you to do. You know, and, you know, and basically, you know, you develop a, th a theology, okay, God says do this. Well, no, I believe the law's been 
abolished and fulfilled and I don't have to do that. You develop a theology because most people can't be honest with it. They just can't say to God, God, I don't want to do this. I'm not, you know, but that's, that's how you continue in the rela relationship with God, you see. Let's take a look at David's honesty. I'm encouraging you to be honest with God, just to admit to God, Lord, I don't want to do this. Okay? Psalms 109 and verse 8. This is David, King David speaking. He's talking about his enemy. And notice how he speaks about his enemy. He says, let his days be few and let another take his office. Let his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. Let his children be continually vagabonds. Let the extortioner catch all that he has. In other words, let him be broke all the time. Let there be none to extend mercy unto him, neither let there be any to favor his fatherless children. Now, this is what you call brutal honesty. It wasn't right that David prayed this kind of prayer. I mean, God, kill my enemy, smite him, break his legs, knock his teeth out, let him, you know, let him, let his children become fatherless, whatever. This wasn't right, but David was honest with God. And this is what continues the relationship with God. You got to be honest. You can't make up some stuff. You know, in other words, you don't want to do what God tells you to do. Admit your rebellious heart to God. Just admit it. Why is this so hard? You know, for me, I figure out God already knows that I don't want to do this. You know, I just, I just figure he already knows. You know, sometimes it might be admitting that you love your sin more than you love God. That can be tough. God, I love this thing I'm struck. I love this addiction more than I love you. Can you admit that to God? Can you admit you I love your anger more than you love God? Can you admit these things to God? Now, the second thing that we do, though, instead of being honest, we build a theology from the Bible that dismisses the thing you want to do. We justify it. We justify it. And, and you know, that's, building a theology that dismisses the will of God, that's what much religion is all about. That's what you find in a lot of religious, you know, arenas is just theologies that just explain why we don't have to do what the Word of God says. So that's your two choices. You, you, got, you can be honest with God, or you can build a theology that dismisses what God wants you to do. You see, God knows the motives of your heart. You can't fool God. You know, people go around, well, I asked my preacher, and he said that the law was nailed to the cross, and he said all that was for the Jews. God knows your heart. He knows why you're asking the questions. He knows what you want to do before you even do it. The moment you dismiss the law that defines what sin is, the relationship is over. The moment you start playing your little game, the moment you step out of honesty, brutal honesty, and you start to manipulate, and you start your little mind games, and you start to build your theology, theologies, and you start to ask your minister, and you ask this person, you ask that person, and you get around, you get around what God wants you to do. The moment you do that, there is no more relationship. You may not know the relationship is over, but it's over.
You got to be honest. You got to be honest with God. So how to begin a relationship with God without church and religion? You got to have a clash of wills. That's one of the things that tells you. You have to, you have to, you must man up and accept responsibility for your clash of wills. God, I don't want to do this. You got to be like Jesus. You know, Jesus said, Lord, if there's any other way, work this out. I don't want to go through this. And by being honest, God can mold, God can shape, God can soften a rebellious heart. God can change your desires if you're honest with him. If you'll just admit, God, I don't want to do this. That keeps you in the relationship. That keeps you, it is so critical to stay in that relationship. But there's only one way to stay in a relationship with God, and that is brutal honesty with God. Brutal, brutal honesty. You know, the power of God can change your life. It really can. But that power only works through people who are brutally honest with themselves. And that's what's really in your Bible. Is it possible for you to change a desire that you know is wrong? Is it even possible to change the man or woman in the mirror? And if so, how? Are we simply stuck with our emotions, feelings, bad habits, with no hope of ever rising above them? Your Bible says God gives His Holy Spirit to them that obey Him, which means change is possible. Learn the step-by-step -step process for receiving the Spirit of God. Order your two free magazines, Why You Need the Spirit of God and Should You Be Baptized. Having the Spirit of God makes the impossible possible. Order by writing to, Is That Really in the Bible? 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia 24151. Or visit us on the web at isthatreallyinthebible.net.